So I'm kind of laying there and I kept asking, did he cry? Did he cry? Did he cry? And like at this point, no one's, no one's answering me because it had been a minute or so at this point. And um, then I hear code purple and five people rush in to baby. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Team. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, I was joined by Caitlin Fitzgerald for the very eventful and traumatic birth story of her first baby during the very beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Caitlin opens up about her unexpected induction, unplanned C-section, a NICU stay, postpartum struggles, and so much more. Due to the pandemic, she was unable to receive the postpartum support that is so necessary for mothers to have, and she had a hard time breastfeeding and bonding with her baby. As Caitlin walks through her birth story and her early postpartum days, she wants mothers to know that things don't always go how we expect them to go, and it is okay if you need help getting through these bumps in the road. This is a really fabulous episode that will really resonate with many women out there because so much has happened. While Caitlin's story is not what I might call a typical birth story, hearing these types of stories is important from an educational standpoint and to support the birthing mama whose story it is. Telling your story, especially when you've experienced birth trauma, is one of the best ways to process and begin to come to terms with everything that has happened. At the end of this episode, Caitlin opens up explicitly about what her healing has looked like and the fact that it took until her baby was nine months to even realize how much her birth trauma was impacting her as a mother. I'm so excited to share Caitlin and her story with you today, so let's dive right in. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Lisa. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Can you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, all that good stuff? Sure. Uh, My name is Caitlin. Uh, My husband and I have been married almost four years now. Uh, We both work full-time and are the parents to a really awesome 15-month-old boy. Very cool. Very cool. So 15 months, I'm trying to do math. So he was a spring 2020 baby. Yes. April, 2020. Nice, nice COVID time. COVID baby. Yeah. I was going to say like the peak of when everything was in shutdown. When it started. Yep. Cool. Well, we're going to get into all that and your birth story, but I usually have people start off with getting pregnant and finding out they were pregnant. And if you had any issues with fertility or had any losses before his pregnancy, if you're willing to share, um, kind of take us back to when you were finding out you were pregnant with him and then we can get into the, your pregnancy and then we can get into his birth story. Cause I know it was very eventful. So I'm very eager to hear all of it. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. So conception, it's funny because I have always had irregular cycles. Um, I had been on birth control for eight years. Um, so when my husband and I decided, hey, you know, we're going to start trying, I told him it's going to be at least six months. You know, it's, it's just going to take time. It's not going to be a right away kind of thing. Um, and then I stopped my birth control mid-June of 2019 and was pregnant by the end of July of 2019. That's pretty quick. So very quick. <laughs> yeah. um, and when I told him, he was like, you're joking, right? I was like, nope. They all do that. Got a positive <laughs> test. Well, he he was just so sure. You know, I had told him, you yeah. know, it was going to be six months. So he was he was pretty surprised. Yeah. Um, but because it had been about six weeks since my last birth control period, um, I was pretty sure I wasn't six weeks along because my cycles were already always irregular. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I called the OBGYN, usually they have you wait till you're eight to 10 weeks. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like, okay, let's, let's bring in, we'll do a dating ultrasound. And that's where all this fun began. Okay. Um, cause I got there, I was only about five weeks pregnant at the time, which we know now cause of the ultrasound. But when you're that early, 
you don't always see a baby. So there was only an empty gestational sac. And of course, you know, when the ultrasound tech says there's no baby, you're kind of like, what? Yeah, freaks you out. (laughs) Yeah. And Google is not your friend when you Google, you know, gestational sac only. Right. Um, So they had me come back a week later. At that point, I was six weeks. There was a baby. There was a heartbeat. Good. Everything was good. Yeah. Um, But I'm sure that week was just nerve wracking to say the least. Yes. And it's funny because at that point, I had not yet told my husband because Mm. it was kind of still a shock to me that I was actually pregnant. Yeah. And I wanted to be able to give him a due date before I told him that I was pregnant. So it was like a week. He didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. It was a mess. (laughs) Yeah, that's rough. Um, And then around nine weeks, I had some spotting. Um, Did an ultrasound baby was fine, heartbeat, all that. Um, they let me know that I had a subchorionic hemorrhage, which I know you had as well. I have. Pretty, yeah. pretty common. Pretty common, but not fun. No, <laughs> like just definitely on edge. Bleeding <laughs> is not the kind of thing that you want to see at any point during your pregnancy, no, no matter what week it, it appears. Yeah. So after that, I was like, okay, um, I did not do the main, um, I guess there's that nippet, you know, testing, mm-hmm. um, didn't do that, but I did the NT scan. Um, I think that was at 12 weeks. Baby looked great. Did the blood work. First round of blood work came back fine. Um, for that one, they had two rounds of blood work. So the second round of blood work came back and my AFP was high. Mm-hmm. Um, which they told me was a sign that the baby could have spina bifida. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so that was around when I was 17 weeks. So they set us up with a genetic counselor appointment, um, as well as a meeting with the maternal fetal medicine specialist mm-hmm. um, for like a high advanced ultrasound. Uh, the genetic counselor said, you know, we really didn't have any reason to think that the baby had spina bifida, um, just based on our history, it just wasn't likely. Um, of course it can happen at any time. Yeah. Um, but then after doing the ultrasound, the (laughs) maternal fetal medicine specialist was like, Oh no, like you're totally fine. He looked at the ultrasound for two seconds and he was like, nah, you're good. Okay. So we're like, okay, if he can look that quickly, then, you know, it's gotta be fine. Yeah. Um, but then after that, we were definitely kind of on edge. Mm-hmm. Um, the doctor did mention that I guess women who have this higher AFP, um, in their blood, there's usually a reason why, um, and it can be as simple as you had bleeding in your first trimester, which mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be, you know, there's issues with the placenta. Um, it could be a sign that, you know, your baby might develop IUGR that you might get preeclampsia. So after that, they were like, we'll just add some extra growth scans. We'll make sure your blood pressure is good always and mm-hmm. just kind of keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, 20 weeks did the anatomy scan, fine. Had a growth scan at 28 weeks, that was fine. Um, had a growth scan at 34 weeks, that was fine. So after that, they're like, okay, like you're, you're probably good. Yeah. So then at 36 weeks was March 13th when the world shut down. Yes. And I, I was bad. And I started asking my doctor for an induction like Mm -hmm. every week because. Well, that's not bad. Let's preface. I mean, I I get it. I get it. I mean, this is, that was very special circumstances. We all can, we're all like starting to come out of it now. So it's like. We've all been through the trauma that we now, you know, know, (laughs) we have all been through the COVID trauma. Um, So I, yeah, I would not, I would not, I don't want you to call it (laughs) bad. It's, it is what it is. I mean, I probably, if I was, I was pregnant at that point, but not as pregnant as you were. And I probably would have done the same thing. I mean, (laughs) it was just those were crazy times. So I, I, yeah, I get it girl. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, the hospitals were threatening, like we might not let the dads in. Uh, Yeah. It was, and I was like, this is my first child. Like I'm not doing this by myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was even at points, you know, we just didn't know what to expect. You know, we, I mean, I remember seeing footage, where was it? Uh, 
what country some some country over in Europe and they was it Italy was that where it was really really bad I can't remember no that's bad that I can't remember but it was so bad that the hospitals were so overrun and it just I was like thinking, oh my gosh, are they, is it going to be so overrun that they're not going to, you know, it's going to be unsafe to deliver in a hospital. Should I start thinking about home birth? Like, oh my gosh, you know? So it's, it was crazy times. We were all just a mess. (laughs) mess. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, so you know, of course that's also when they weren't doing anything elective though, either. So my doctor Mm -hmm. was like, no, like I haven't, you know, there's no medical reason to induce you. Yeah. Um, so that was no fun. Yeah. So then, like I said, every week I was still like, Hey, can I be induced? You know, 37 weeks, 38 weeks. And they're like, yeah. no, no, you're fine. Blood pressure's fine. Like, sorry. Yeah. Um, and at my, what is it? 35 weeks that you get your, um, GBS swab usually 35 or 36 okay yeah Yeah. so I had that and I was um, actually GBS positive okay so my doctor did make sure to tell me don't do anything to purposefully induce yourself and put yourself in a situation where you can't get to the hospital in time because Mm -hmm. I was um, positive yeah so that was kind of like darn it you know you try to do I was still trying to do all those tricks but um you know, I did keep that in the back of my mind. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting that he said that too, especially with it being your first baby. I mean, we, we do like you to get there in time to get the antibiotics. That's super mm-hmm. important, but I wouldn't go as far as say like, don't, don't, don't try you know, to, <laughs> don't try to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Especially cause it's your, it, you know, if you have a history of having some fast labors, like, absolutely. I would understand a provider saying, Hey, your GBS positive. We, you know, it's really important that you get to the hospital and get this IV infusion, um, within, you know, a few hours, like, you know, let's not try to do all of the things, but <laughs> yeah, your first baby, that does strike me as a little bit odd that he would say that to you. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't know yeah. any different. So I was yeah. like, okay, you know, right. whatever. Right. Um, I still did all, you know, the curb walking, the yeah. yoga ball. I was like, I'm, yeah. I'm getting this baby out yeah. <laughs> either yeah. way. Exactly. Um, so then it was my 39 week appointment. And I remember that too, because it was the first appointment I went to where the hospital was requiring masks. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, still at that point, this was early April, there really wasn't testing everywhere. They, you know, we had no idea to know really who had what. Yeah. Um, so I remember I had this like really thin, I mean, I would not use it now. It was this horribly thin little pink mask that I just got off Amazon <laughs> quickly. Um, so I go to my 39 week appointment and my blood pressure was a little high. That didn't strike me as weird because we'd been stressed for the last, you know, three weeks about yes. trying to deliver and, yes. you know, and they let me sit there for a little bit, kept checking it kept being high. Um, they measured my belly and I guess it had measured a little bit smaller than they were expecting for 39 weeks. Okay. So at that point, the doctor was, I'm going to send you up to, you know, the birth suite. I'm going to have them monitor you. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, you know, I go up, they put an IV in, um, get me hooked up to the heart rate monitor, contraction monitor. Um, and my blood pressure did go down, but they also noticed that baby's heart rate kept dipping. So the doctor there said, "Well, I'm going to go send you over to ultrasound to look at your fluid level." So I say, "Okay." Mm -hmm. They keep the IV in my arm. They send me down to the ultrasound, um, and my fluid was very low. Mm -hmm. So the ultrasound tech was like, "All right, you're having a baby today." Yeah, definitely an indication (laughs) to induce for sure if that fluid's really low because that can, and that makes sense why the heart rate is going out going down because there's just less room in there to cushion that umbilical cord. And when it, you have, especially, you know, if you have a contraction squeezes baby and squeezes umbilical cord, and if there's not a lot of fluid in there, not a lot of cushion, then the umbilical cord can get a bit compressed and that's what can cause those heart rate changes. So yeah, definitely. If anybody listening, if you have low or high fluid at a certain point, those are definitely reasons to have an induction. Among a lot of other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also, the ultrasound tech did mention, too, that baby was measuring behind. He was yeah. 
we didn't know he was a boy at the time. We kept that a surprise. Cool. Um, but uh, it's a boy. Um, he he was measuring um, at about 36 weeks, so he was okay. about three weeks behind. Okay. Um, so they did end up diagnosing me with IUGR as well, mm-hmm. which I was like, that's the whole reason we were doing the growth scans, and he was yeah. fine up until 34 weeks, and then at 36, he just kind of stopped growing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I <laughs> texted my husband, and I said, be very calm. I was like, there's no rush, but baby's going to come today. Or, you know, I'm yeah. going to be induced today. Yeah. You never know when baby's actually going to come. Yeah. Um, you know, and all the nurses kept saying, you know, tell him not to rush. It's a slow process. We got to get you checked in still and all that. So, you know, we had been packed. We were ready. We had the bag, car seat, all that. Um, but again, because of COVID, they told him once we're in our labor and delivery room, we cannot leave. Mm-hmm. Can't be in the hallway. He can't even go down the cafeteria. Like we're in the room. Yeah. So they told him, bring the car seat in, bring any food that you're going to want to eat, like phone chart, wow. like have what you need. Yeah. So that was kind of like, oh, you know, wow, we're going to be like really yeah. trapped in this it's room. It's like a little prison cell. I know. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at that point when I was going to be induced, I was one centimeter dilated, which did help. Um, but because my fluid was low, they didn't want to use, what is it, Cervidil or whatever they usually put in there to, to thin yeah, it. Yeah, there's a couple different ones, Cervidil or Cytotec. Cervidil looks a little bit different. Do you remember what, it, was it like a pill or was it like a little, kind of looks like a tampon? Cervidil looks like a little tampon kind of Okay, thing no, they didn't, they didn't actually want to use either of those because okay. my water was already broken. Um, so I got the pleasure of using the Foley bulb, um, to dilate me. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about that. I I always am interested to hear people's experiences with Foley bulbs because most people say they're pretty uncomfortable. Some people it's, it, there's a variation. Some people are like, eh, it was no big deal. And then other people was like, it was the worst thing I've ever felt in my entire life. (laughs) Well, it's funny because the nurses were almost scaring me because they, you know, I asked like, how, how bad is it? You know? And I guess none of them have like personally, you know, used it. So they're like, well, like it's pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. And one nurse even told me that she had a mom get an epidural before they did it because she didn't even want to deal with it. And I was like, it's that bad. Like what? Yeah. So I'm like horrified and they do it. And honestly, mom's listening. It, it was not that bad. Good. Good. For me, at least it was just like, kind of bad period cramps. Like that yeah. was, that was what it felt like. It wasn't awful. was totally tolerable. I wouldn't want to do it again if I don't have to, eh, you know, you know, not most like things I don't. Yeah. It's not like, you know, Friday night. Okay. Let's like put a Foley bulb in me. Yeah. We're having a good time. Yeah. No, I think, um, I think it also really depends on how dilated your cervix is too. So if you're already one centimeter, that's a big difference from even just being no centimeters and closed. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of times it's, it can be a lot more uncomfortable if you're no centimeters dilated versus one or two. And if your cervix is already, I don't know if you remember if it was effaced at all, if it was thinned out or at all, sometimes they don't even really tell you in the beginning yeah. if it is. Um, but that does make a difference too. So maybe you were like halfway effaced one centimeter and maybe that's why it was, uh, you know, not as bad. Like, Awful. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're like climbing up the wall or anything. Yep. Um, so yeah, I got that you know, officially started the induction about 6 p.m. on April 6th. Um, They started Pitocin maybe around 9 p.m. that night, Um, just really light. So, you know, kind of laboring all through the night. And it wasn't that bad. Um, I had taken your natural course. I was planning to go natural. Yeah. Um, So I was like, okay, you know, I got this it was your kind of mantra, like I can do anything for at least 10 seconds. But again, it really wasn't bad. I had always had really bad period cramps and that's just what it felt like. Um, so that early labor wasn't, wasn't bad. Um, however, (laughs) around maybe 5am, they took the Foley bulb out. I was five-ish, six-ish centimeters, which was you know, the point of the bulb. So that was great. Yeah. Um, so then they're like, all right, we're going to crank up this Pitocin now. Yeah. And that's when it got really less fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at about 10 AM is when I, you know, tapped out and I had to get that epidural. Um, my contractions got to a point where they 
I wasn't really getting a break in between them. They were kind of right on top of each other. They were lasting like a minute and a half, two minutes. And I was like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. It's um, tough. It's tough yeah. when you're induced. We have a lot of people take the natural course who end up getting induced and it's fine. You know, they're able to tolerate them and deliver with, you know, unmedicated or without an epidural. But I would say there's a, still a good majority of people who get induced and it's like that where there's like contraction after contraction, after contraction, after contraction. And it's like, I cannot do this. Like this is yeah. too much. So, yeah. Yeah. And, um, it was tough too, because, because his heart rate kept, you know, dipping, they wanted me to kind of stay on my left side as much as possible. Yeah. So I really didn't get the opportunity to, to change positions, yeah. move around, you know, try to get comfortable. So that, you know, kind of derailed the whole plan of, all those, you know, techniques that you totally, go through. Totally. It's tough when you have limitations like that, because if you're trying to move and you're being told that, Hey, you can't move because of baby, that's, that's really, really hard Yeah. when you're in that much pain. Yep. Yeah. And of course I want to do what I need to do for baby. So I was yeah. like, all right, if baby's safer when I'm this way, that's fine. But you know, right. I was like, all right. So, but I give myself credit, you know, I made it 16 hours with Pitocin. So, you know, that ain't nothing. That was, that that was my woohoo moment. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the epidural was nice because it did allow me to sleep. um, Because at that point I'd been awake for, you know, a day and a half. I was going to say, yeah, (laughs) came in the afternoon and now it's what time? Like 5 a.m. Now it's morning time. So yeah. Yeah. Like 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was ready to go to sleep. Oh, I'm sure. so yeah, got the epidural, kept up in the Pitocin, um, but you know, that whole time baby's heart rate is still just not, not doing great. Um, so, you know, labor through the day, by the time we got to about 5 PM, you know, we had a, a shift in doctors mm-hmm. um, and he was not comfortable with the heart rate dips. Yeah. I had been stuck at that five to six centimeters, wasn't even with the Pitocin going up. So they gave me one of those peanut balls Mm -hmm. and they're like, we're going to try this. And if you're just not dilating, then we're going to have to make the C-section call. Yeah. And at that point, you know, wasn't what I wanted, but I was like, you know what? We, you know, baby's got to come out. Yeah. So none of that worked. So at about 8 PM made the call, baby's got to come out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't as upset as I thought I was going to be. Um, which was good. You know, I kind of prepared like this is just, it happens, especially when you're induced before your due date. Right. As I was. So, you know, kind of just rolling with it. Um, so I had already had the epidural, which made everything, you know, easier. They just put the medicine right in. Um, I will say it can make you really dizzy (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that, I got motion sick, just switching beds to go into the OR. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like getting off of a nice, comfortable labor bed and then getting onto like the flat, hard OR table and just being in a different setting. The temperature is different in the OR. Like it's just yep. it's really, really bright versus, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. But I had a wonderful anesthesiologist who, Good. you know, she rubbed my head the whole time, Aww. kept me calm. I threw up the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> Heads up. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, but she was, she was awesome. Good. Um, so yeah, they, you know, they start the C-section, you know, everything was going normal. Um, everybody in the uh, OR was excited cause we didn't know what we were having. So even all the nurses were like guessing, like, what's it going to be? What do you guys think? Since day one, I was convinced it was a boy. So when it came out and it was a boy, my husband and I were kind of like, okay, like we knew it. Um, and then kind of from there, everything got really scary. Um, so so tell me, tell me what happened next. So baby came out, um, you know, my husband made the call out, you know, it's a boy. Um, and I knew from, you know, seeing pictures, other birth stories, usually they hold baby up over the curtain so that you can see him. Didn't hold him up, took him right back to the, um, you know, baby area, and I kept asking, did he cry? Because I didn't hear him cry. And the anesthesiologist said, oh, sometimes C-section babies take a minute to cry. because yeah, it's like you fluid know. and yeah. Yep. Yeah, so she's like, just just give him a minute. So I'm like, okay. 
So I'm kind of laying there and I kept asking, did he cry? Did he cry? Did he cry? And like at this point, no one's, no one's answering me. Cause it had been a minute or so at this point. Yeah. And um, then I hear code purple and five people rush in to baby. And I'm kind of like, what, what's happening? And the anesthesiologist is like, oh, you know, it's okay. Like sometimes baby just needs a little extra help. Like they're just giving him a little extra help. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Um, at that point, my husband had been standing because he was watching. They told him to sit down because mm-hmm. I don't think they wanted him to see what was going on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm still laying there. And then they call Code Purple again. And like five more people come in. So, you know, and I can hear them calling things out. I don't know what any of it means. You know, they're like, who's charting? Who's, you know, doing this? You know, I hear compressions, you know, and I'm like, what's, you know, you're, I'm laying on the table. I, you know, I can't see. And you can't move or anything. You have no control. Yeah. Nope. And my wonderful anesthesiologist rubbing my hair. She's, she's trying to keep me calm because I got, you know, my blood pressure is probably going up at this point, you know, so she's like, got to keep you calm. Um, They take my husband out of the room and then they, they take baby. So at this point I haven't seen him, haven't heard him cry. They called code twice. I knew they were doing compressions. I was like, all I could think of in my head was, am I about to go home without a baby? Right. You know, like just sheer panic and of course then for me I have to stay in there now for the next 30 minutes they have to close me up you know get the Mm -hmm. epidural out all that so it's like I have no idea what's going on don't know where my husband is don't know where the baby is none of that um so then I get wheeled to my recovery room my husband was already in there and the I guess the you know on-call neonatologist uh comes in at that point and lets us know, they called it failure to transition. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, for them saying he just had a hard time being born, basically, and just needed a little kind of kickstart and getting his heart rate up, mm-hmm. um, getting him breathing. Um, they let me know um, his APGAR scores when he was born, which I know is something that you guys, yeah. that's what you do. Yeah. Um, so his APGAR score at one minute was a three, which okay. is very low. Yeah. Um, and then at five minutes, they got it to a five okay. and at 10 minutes, they got it to a nine. Okay. So he, okay. he did recover fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, but at that point he was, they said he's going to stay in the NICU. Yeah. He was on a CPAP just to kind of help push mm-hmm. air into his lungs and help him breathe a little bit. Um, but he was breathing on his own at that point. So, Good. you know, they told us he's fine. He just needed a little help getting started. They're going to keep an eye on him. Um, so my husband got to go see him at this point. It's like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. We're exhausted. We have people texting us like, Hey, it's been like three hours since you told us about the C-section. Like what's going on? Yeah. Like expecting a picture and yeah. And like happy, you know, yeah. whatever. And we were just like, what, what do you even say? Like, yeah. I haven't even seen him. Yeah. Um, Cause all of our friends and family didn't know what we were having either. So they right. want to know, is it a boy? Is it a girl? Right. So my recommendation is don't even tell people when you're in labor if you don't want them to ask. I know. We made I that said, mistake. I was having that conversation. I can't remember. I think I was on somebody else's podcast and she said the same thing. She was like, next one, I'm not even going to tell them I'm in labor. Nope. I'm not going to tell them when my, thing. I'm not going to tell them when my, I'm going to tell them my due date is two weeks from when it actually is. So they're not even asking me. That's a good, that's a good plan. I'm going to remember that. There you go. Yeah. So... Yeah. So it's like 11 o'clock, you know, we, we go to bed. He got to see him. He took a picture so I could at least see him, but he's got like a CPAP on his, you know, over his face, it's on his head. So I couldn't really like see him, didn't know what his hair looked like. Didn't, you know, I didn't know what my baby looked like. Yeah. So, you know, then I had nurses coming in through the night, you know, doing that lovely, you know, fundal rub that everybody loves. Yeah. Um, I just saw you had a post about it and it made me laugh. (laughs) And uh, they're not so fun. They're not. They're not. They're we not. call them fundal massages and fundal rubs. And, and they're not anything like getting a massage. At no, all. I, I will say the the epidural took a little bit to wear off. So the first like two I did not feel, which was okay. that was okay. nice. Yes. Um, appreciated that. <laughs> 
So, but they were also encouraging me to pump too through the night um, so that they could bring anything back to him. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was doing that. So didn't, you know, get a whole lot of sleep that first night. Not that many people do. Um, So by the next day, I just felt like crap, you know, had a lot of blood loss, was awake, long time, stressful night. Um, Blood pressure was low. Your blood sugar is low because you haven't eaten, you know, all day. Um, so I didn't actually feel like able to get up until about two o'clock the next day, like 2 PM. Okay. Um, so then by then, you know, people are just going nuts. Like, is it a boy? Like all they wanted to know is it a, is it a boy or yeah. girl? What's the name? And I was like, I haven't even seen my child. Yeah. I like, will let you know. Yeah. yeah. Like we told a couple of people, like our parents, um, just that, Hey, you know, baby's out had a little bit of trouble. We'll text yeah. you in the morning. Um, yeah. just so like they, cause my dad was like, he heard C-section for me and was like panicking and I was like, well, that was they, fine. Yeah. And they were probably concerned about like you too. Yeah. So they're yeah. just trying. Yeah. I understand. So, you know, we texted the parents. We're like, we, we are okay. Like yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I saw him at 2 PM the next day and his CPAP was off, which was great. Okay. Um, he did have a feeding tube cause he was having a little trouble eating. Um, but otherwise he was good and he, he was like the most perfect little baby I've ever seen. Of course, of course he was, you know? yes. And he was tiny. He was only six pounds. Um, super, which, you know, I thought we were going to, my husband and I were both bigger than that. So, yeah. but he was this tiny little thing, head full of hair, uh, which makes sense. Cause I had awful heartburn my whole pregnancy. <laughs> um, and yeah, just sweet and quiet. He, they said the whole time he was in the NICU, he never made a peep. Um, so then I would visit, you know, every day I was pumping, I had a really good supply, like right off the bat. Um, so then he was getting my milk, we were doing skin to skin and then he improved really quickly. Um, so I think those like skin to skin benefits were just, you know, we both needed it a little bit. Yeah, totally. Um, so he was there for about five days. He was born on a Tuesday. They discharged us Saturday. Okay. Um, they actually let me stay an extra day so that we could ask, be discharged together. Ask, yeah, that's that's always nice when they're able to do that. That's not 100% of the time, but usually if it's within a day or two, they're yeah. able to do that. Yeah, and I was, because I remember when they told me we might not be discharged together, it was like immediate tears, like yeah. just, oh. how can I leave my baby? Exactly. I already don't have him in the room with me. Yeah. You know, just yeah, not fun. So yeah. we discharged on the same day and that was good. Um, but one of the unfortunate part, one of the, there were, there were quite a few unfortunate parts of that because of COVID, they didn't have any of their services. I did get to talk to a lactation consultant, but because I wasn't rooming with my baby, Mm -hmm. we didn't get to practice. I didn't really get any info on positions. People didn't even want to come in the room at this point, you know, like COVID just kind of messed all that up. Um, so the nurse that discharged us from the NICU gave me like a really quick out the door, like breastfeeding lesson. Yeah. And that was kind of all I had. Um, so we had tried it at home and it just couldn't, you know, couldn't get him to latch. He kept hopping off. Um, so I was like, well, I'll just pump and we'll just bottle feed. Like he was bottle feeding fine in the NICU. Maybe that's just, you know, what we'll do. Yeah. All right, the sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. All right, so this Birth It Up Baby says, Hi, Liesl, I just wanted to take a second to thank you now that my Birth It Up Babe is six months old. My husband and I both felt so prepared and confident with our 10-day early labor after watching the epidural series. It was the smoothest, easiest delivery I've ever heard of, and I feel like so much of that had to do with all of your advice and confidence your course gave us. I labored at home for about three hours, got checked in, and was six centimeters, asked for an epidural right away, and then only had about 30 minutes to rest before our girl decided she was ready. I pushed five times and there she was. All I can say is thank you, thank you, thank you. I will forever be recommending you to friends and rewatching the course for babe number two. So great. And I totally agree. That is a very, very smooth time. Very, very great working epidural. And I'm so happy that it works so good for her. 
If you want to hear about the course that she took, she took Birth It Up, the epidural series, and you can head over to mommylabornurse.com and click on the epidural series to learn more. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. So when you went back for your C-section, did was it like an emergent kind of thing or was it more, you know, okay, this is not planned, but it's unplanned, but we're not, we're not rushing back. Yeah. So that's definitely how it was. It was, it was really calm. You know, the doctor was like, yeah, we're just, you know, you kind of failed to progress. That's just what they called it. Um, it's not like his heart rate went way down and they were like, Oh my God, and go back. Yeah. That's, 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 I was going to say that's tough when it's like that, it goes down immediately and you have to go back really, really fast, but having it be unplanned is you're able to process it a little bit more. Yeah. And I wonder what, because a lot of times we can tell by their heart rates before going back, kind of what their reserve is like. And, and I wonder if he coming out, that's why he had a little bit of trouble coming out and transitioning. If his heart rate just wasn't, just wasn't like what we call, it's called variability when the heart rate's moving you know, kind of up and down, nice and jagged, not like more of a flat line. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's tough for mom and dad, obviously, and partner, whoever in the OR when a baby comes out like that, but it's also tough on us because we're like, okay, at least in an emergency C-section, we know that baby's going to come out probably not looking great. So like we're all prepared, the NICU's in there. We don't have to call anybody. Everybody's there. But like when it's unexpected like that, and you said they called a team twice, a cold purple twice, it's like, Oh, it's like a shock to like all of us. So I can imagine that there was a debrief afterwards, hopefully of everyone. Did your provider come and talk to you? I know you said the neonatologist came and talked to you, but did your OB kind of brief you through what happened to at all? Sometimes they do. I don't think so. He did come in and make sure I was okay, like C-section wise. Um, I did see him the next day and just asked how baby was doing, um, assuming that I had talked to the neonatologist, but he, it was just the, that night, it was just the neonatologist kind of given a, given a rundown. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, I do want to get into a little bit of your postpartum recovery, if you're willing to share that. I know you started talking about breastfeeding and pumping and everything. So I want to, I want to first ask how your recovery was with recovering from a C-section an unplanned one that, you know, so be it. Um, and then I do want to ask how the pumping went and your journey with that, if you're able, ever able to latch him again, or if you just continued pumping or, you know, how long that lasted. So, why don't you start with uh, post how how it was in the hospital and then kind of going home how recovery was? Yeah, so as as much as it sucked not having my baby with me, I will say it did give me a time to kind of recover yeah. by myself. Yeah. And while I wish you know I could have had him, I do appreciate that time. Yeah. Um, I did get to sleep in between pumping. Yeah, I didn't have to keep trying to get up and down so much. Um, I was able to just kind of recover. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, they get you up and walking as quickly as you can and, yeah. and all that. But um, yeah, so recovery in the hospital wasn't wasn't that bad. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, you're very careful getting up, but it wasn't it wasn't bad. Um, and even at home, I think because I had five days in the hospital, it wasn't just two and then you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at a better point by the time I came home that getting in and out of bed was already easier. Good. I wasn't quite so hunched over walking around the house. Yeah. Um, coughing wasn't horrible. Yeah. Um, and I did not have a lot of bleeding. I know, you know, it varies person to person, but I was surprised that it really wasn't yeah, as much as I thought. That's fairly common from what I've heard. And the reasoning behind that, it usually is because in the OR, they are like irrigating inside with lots of water. So a lot of times they do a pretty good job of like cleaning out that initial kind of lining and bleeding that's in there. So we do see that with C-section moms that they a lot of times have a, have less bleeding. Yeah. Yeah. That was nice. Um, I did steal as many, uh, diapers and stuff from oh, the yeah, hospital girl. though, before I came home, you know, it's, you got to, it's yeah. free. It's there. I'm going <laughs> to exactly. take it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that, you know, C-section wise, it wasn't bad. And even now, you know, 
I'm fine. We're over a year out at this yeah. point. Um, did you have any, did you have any issues with your scar? Did they have any pain with your scar or numbness or anything like that? Um, yeah. So not a lot of pain. Like I really just did the Tylenol and the Motrin, Good. you know, going back and forth with those, um, and your stool softeners, of course, mm-hmm. ladies, don't forget that. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> and that for me was, was enough. Um, I did actually end up having an allergic reaction to the glue that they used on oh. my incision. Um, but thankfully I didn't actually have the reaction until about eight weeks postpartum because they, they told me that the glue would come off by itself. Don't pick mm-hmm. it. It'll come off. Yeah. Well, around six weeks, you know, I had my follow-up appointment, but it was virtual because it was May. We're still in, you know, yeah. unknown of COVID. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, I still have a good bit of glue at this point. Can I peel it off? And she's like, yeah, but do it in the shower where it's warm. And, you know, if, if something opens, you know, stop. Right. Um, so I had been trying to do that. I mean, this, this glue is strong, obviously yeah. it's meant to hold a wound closed. Yeah. Um, and I still couldn't get it off. And by eight weeks, I think my skin was just like, I've had enough uh, of this stuff. And I had hives all around, uh, all around the incision. Oh my gosh. Um, so I go back to the doctor. They wanted me to come in that time and, yeah. um, got some prednisone and, uh, that helped. And they helped me get some of the glue off with, uh, whatever they had in the office. Yeah. Um, and the only reason they were to give me prednisone, which kind of brings me back to the breastfeeding is because I was not breastfeeding at that point. Gotcha. Um, cause I think they were like, crap, like, what do we do? Cause you right. can't take prednisone while you're breastfeeding. Right. Um, so yeah, so kind of getting into that, um, you know, we were doing the bottle feeding. I was pumping that was going fine. Um, but when he was about two, two and a half weeks, I started noticing he was making like a clicking sound when he was drinking. Mm. He was a very colicky baby since like the second day we brought him home, very gassy, always crying. Um, so I had a virtual appointment through Pebble, which Mm -hmm. I got from you. Yeah. And I'm so sad that they closed. I am too. Because they were, they were literally my lifeline. Yeah. When I brought him home. Yeah. So I had a virtual consultation with one of their lactation consultants and she actually saw that he had a tongue tie. Mm. Um, and I Virtually, know Virtually, she could see that. She, I know. I, wow. she was, she was amazing. That's awesome. Um, and I know that for some people that doesn't affect, you know, their baby, but for us it did. Yeah. Um, so we went and had that done. He had a tongue and a lip tie. So we went and they laser it off. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that and then it was an immediate, like you just, there was an immediate difference in how he was eating. He was less gassy. So we were like, okay, this was, it was tough bringing our three week old child in for a laser appointment, you know, but (laughs) it was, it was worth it. Yeah. Sounds like very needed. Yeah. And then, so I kept trying to pump, but I started to have a hard time keeping up with him. Mm -hmm. Um, and then even so still with this extreme, you know, he got officially diagnosed with colic because I guess it's over like a three week, you know, Mm -hmm. period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, So our doctor recommended either I would have to start cutting things out of my diet or we could switch to a formula and see if that helped. We, I decided at that time to do formula because like mentally it was just, I had to make a lot to make that change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that was tough. That I think I struggled with the most because that was like the one thing I was like, this, I can do this for him. Like I can make milk because my, my supply was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so we switched to formula, but we were still having a really hard time. He was spitting up. He was refluxing all the time. Mm-hmm. Again, still just crying. Nothing was working. He never slept. Um, so we took him to the gastroenterologist and he was diagnosed with severe silent reflux. Oh. and which we were like, didn't know that, you know, you baby spit up all the time. You don't really think of it, but he, this poor guy, I mean, he would refuse the bottle. He would turn it, he would scream. Yeah. Um, so we got him on some medicine for that, got him on a hypoallergenic formula. And then since then had, had no issues. Um, he did great wow. on that. So it was kind of like, we had all these surprises, like, yeah 
as soon as he was born through, you know, a good portion of that postpartum. But um, I, I do want to say that it's not that common. So I don't want like, I hate, I yeah. love telling my story and I hate yeah. telling my story because I don't want to scare people, you know? No, no. So. I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what it feels like. And I think okay. that's what most listeners are aware of when they listen to birth stories that yep. it's important to hear these stories that are, you know, this is your story and his story and your husband's story. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even though like, gosh, having an unplanned seat where well, let's first off start with having an induction because your fluid was low and then having yep. an unplanned C-section and then your baby coming out with low APGARs, having a NICU stay, having issues with him, having colic, having a tongue. I mean, there's like all of these things in a row. Yes. It sounds like a very, very negative <laughs> experience, yes. a start to motherhood, but I do want to ask you, did you ever, were you able, ever able to fully process that trauma? Like, did you ever see a therapist or anything like that? Did you read anything that helped you or yeah, so you feel like something real, like you saw something that really helped you? Cause I think that's what a lot of people struggle with if they have a negative experience, whatever it may be, whether it's it, during birth or whether it's, you know, for, with a breastfeeding experience, whatever it is that they struggle with processing that trauma because it is trauma. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I definitely, I, I did struggle a lot. Um, I kept saying to people, I feel like I'm not bonding with him. Like, I yeah. feel like I, I said to a friend, I feel like he's not mine and I'm waiting for his real mom to come get him. That's yeah. like the, the best way I can describe how it felt with him. Yeah. Um, and, but I didn't realize that it was because of the birth trauma mostly. Yeah. And I didn't actually realize that until I started talking to someone, um, which wasn't until he was like nine months old. Yeah. And I'm telling her this story and she's like, wow, you, you yeah. should have come to me a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and it's funny cause I, you know, I've seen a therapist for, you know, years for, for other stuff like anxiety. Yeah. Um, and I knew all the signs of, you know, postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. And I was like, I'll be able to, you know, recognize this if I have it. And I did not at all. Yeah. Um, talking to my therapist now, she was like, you know, you definitely had either PPD or PPA going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so now I actually just talked to her last night now at 15 months, um, I'm finally able to, you know, tell my story without crying and, yeah. you know, there's still flashbacks sometimes there's still, um, you know, I still grieve for the things that I did not get, yeah. um, that I wanted or, you know, that it just didn't go the way I want, uh, that I wanted, but, um, yeah, definitely, I definitely recommend seeing a therapist much sooner than your child is nine months old. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I can't like yell that louder too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I totally agree. If you feel like you have something going on and you have access to one, there's so many great, like you can get virtually virtual visits so quick with a therapist. Like it is so, so worth it. Even if you can't see one long-term, like I too see a therapist, I've been seeing one for a while and I just see her for maintenance, like every two weeks, that's just that's just when we see each other. And if I'm going through something, I up my visits. If I'm, you know, able to back down, I back down my visits. Um, but yeah, I can't, I, I love that I had her as a resource and I know not everybody is able to. And sometimes I think people, what people struggle with is like, start like, it's sad, but there is like a stigma still around therapy Absolutely. and like starting therapy and like, am I really that person who needs therapy after having a kid? You know, it's like, yeah. you, you hear that you, you feel those feelings. Um, but so, so needed and therapy is like amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah. let's be clear. Sometimes it's like my therapist, I just, I just talk and she's, it's just nice to have somebody that knows appropriate ways to respond to what you're saying and yeah. like offers some different insights that maybe you hadn't thought about, but sometimes it's just me. I'm talking about something and I'm like, yeah, this happened. And yeah, I guess I didn't handle that the right way or this, you know, it's like, you're just able to really, really 
speak without it's it's not like they are there's no judgment or anything so yeah and it's it's really validating too to hear like yes those like grieving feelings that's totally normal you're even just sometimes being told you're allowed to feel something is is enough and you're like okay like get these feelings out um so yeah definitely yeah and it's funny because I always said like you know, if I started feeling weird, I was going to, you know, especially with Pebble, because they have that, they had that resource at the time. And I never, I never reached out. And I honestly don't know why, like, I, I don't remember a lot from that postpartum period at this time. Yeah. But I I don't know why I didn't. And I really, you know, if I could change that one thing, because I could control that. um, That's, I wish I would have reached out sooner, because it would have, it would have explained a lot because I didn't realize why I was feeling that way. Yeah. And that's a, and that's a hallmark sign. That's a hallmark thing to say. If you're dealing with either postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, what you said, you feel like you're not bonding with your baby. You feel like this baby isn't yours. I feel like I'm not his mom. That's a very, that's not something that someone says when they're not dealing with, you know, they're doing okay. Right. Right. Exactly. Even if they have a baby with colic or they have something, you know, you're still, it's, it's innate to be able to, to effectively feel like you're bonding with your child. So if there's some disruption there, yeah, there's, there's something going on. Yeah. And that, that was tough too, because none of the other people in my life who had had children felt that way, or if they did, they didn't, they didn't share it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, wait, like, that's not, a normal feeling to not think this is my child. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I want to say too, for, for men too, because my husband went through just as much trauma. I mean, he saw our son come out and our son was not a pink baby when he he was, you know, so it's like, you know, men too, you guys, you have trauma from it too. And my husband started seeing someone as well and that, that helped too. So we all needed a little, a little help. I'm sure. I'm sure. And sometimes men partners, husbands, but like boyfriends, whoever it may be, sometimes they're a little bit more reluctant to mm-hmm. even start it. I feel like mom, yes, there are some reluctancy sometimes, but with, at least I'm speaking with my husband, like it's hard <laughs> sometimes I'm like, you should go and do that. And it's like, they're yeah. just reluctant to start, but yep. well, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really, really fabulous episode that I think a lot of people can resonate with because you had a lot of stuff happen to you. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with this episode. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad I got to share that. Yeah. All right. I'm going to hit stop.